0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We can start making our way to our seats. It's great to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome everyone in the gymnasium and all of those who are watching at home via live stream. We're just so grateful to the Lord that you're here to worship with us and enjoy the time to be together as family. Just have a couple little announcements. One is this Tuesday evening, uh, there's the, the men's outdoor adventures are continuing through these next few weeks. Um, this Tuesday night at 6 p.m. out of the Lagoon Park trails. Uh, it's another time of a devotional and prayer and some hiking. Um, the information's on the blog under News and Events. Uh, the last one they had a couple of weeks ago, I think they said 15 guys showed up, so it was a really good time of fellowship, getting to enjoy one another. And so that's this Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Also, I want to remind everyone: from last week, we still have these prayer guides, uh, back-to-school prayer guides after school started last week for the kids just for an opportunity, if you were here last week, for families to get together and pray. We have uh, scriptures that go under each one to pray for administrators, teachers, and students, uh, just to cover this uh, school year in prayer as we begin the new school year. So if I ask you, please stand. We begin our time of worship. I'm going to read Psalm 96, and what I'm about to declare is what we're about to sing. I'm so excited about this new worship song we're going to sing this morning, and it comes from Psalm 96. So let's go before the Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea war roar in all that fills it, let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's worship worship the Lord Lord together.
1: above, praise the mountain, fix upon it, mount a body to
2: Thank you so much for this day. What a wonderful uh, hymn to sing, Father. Just the truth of that. And we just love you, Father. We just thank you. And Lord, I just want to pray Psalm 121, verse 1 over us. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Lord, we just cry out to you today. And we just declare that our help does not come from this world. It does not come from the power of this world or from human strength or human ideas or human wisdom lord our help comes from you and from you alone and so we just cry out to you for your help this morning father as we just lift these specific requests up to you lord we pray for our gateway college students who are starting school i just thank you for them lord I thank you for the the privilege for megan and i to be able to to sow into them and minister to them lord and we just um, have seen so much wonderful fruit in that in, the, in those lives father as they have pursued after you, they continually seek after you, Lord, and I pray that as they fix their eyes on you, that you would lead them onto their college campuses, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high in each one of those, Father. And we just pray you'd guard them, you'd protect them, you'd watch over their hearts and souls, um, and that you would just give them opportunity to proclaim the gospel on their campuses, Father. We just thank you for them and their, their faithfulness here, Lord. We pray for folks smart with his ministry to the guys of Safety Net, Lord. I know he's just, uh, for so many years, faithfully ministered there. We just thank you for that example, and we just pray that you would continue to bring forth fruit as a result of that, Father, that that men would continue to come to know you, would continue to deepen their faith in you, and that you would just give Foshaw wisdom and, and endurance and opportunity and resources and all that he needs to continue doing that, Father. We just thank you for him there. We pray for New Life in Christ Church, Father, the, the Hispanic church that meets here on our campus, Lord. We pray for Eduardo and the leadership team and that you would continue to bless them and um, grow them spiritually, Father, give them opportunity to minister your gospel to the Hispanic community here in Montgomery, and that you would just show us how to love them and how to support them in their efforts there, Lord. We just thank you for them. We pray for our nation during this season of the COVID crisis with everything going on, Father. I know there's been so many health issues and so many financial issues and just so many things that have been broken, Lord. We just know that you are at work in the midst of all of this. We know, Lord, that um, you seem to be just stripping some things down. And we just pray that you would give us great faith in this time, that we as the church would declare your goodness and your mercy and your grace in the midst of this, that we would um, look to you in the midst of this, that we would point other people to you um, as as our eyes seem to be fixed on this storm of this COVID crisis, Lord, that we would instead fix our eyes on you. Uh, Lord, we pray for the unreached people this week that we're praying for, the uh, Razahi of Northwest Yemen. They're a Muslim group. They struggle uh, with drug use and with having suitable drinking water, Lord, and we just pray that you would uh, meet them, Lord. We pray that you would send missionaries to them. We pray that you would save people from amongst their own people that would uh, that would take the gospel to them, Father. We just cry out for that, for that unreached people group and pray that you would do a miraculous work and bring your gospel there. Um, Lord, we pray. For the offering that's given today and already been given online, we just pray that um, we would be good stewards of that, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you by giving of our money, Lord, by just declaring our great need on you, declaring that our hope is in you and not in money. And, Lord, I pray that we would all just have take that opportunity to give as an act of worship and that uh, we here at Gateway would be good stewards of that, using that to further your kingdom and to further the gospel, Lord. And, Lord, finally we pray for Grady as he shares this morning pray you would fill him with your spirit now we pray against all distraction in his mind and that he would be able to come and clearly proclaim your word father and that we as, as the church would hear that word that we would be convicted by that word that that you Holy Spirit would continue to work that in our hearts all throughout the week that we would remind each other of this word and that we would um, be changed because of your word father we just thank you we just love you and we praise you in Jesus name
3: Gateway family, those of you in the sanctuary, those in the gym, those at home, I am so grateful we get to gather together to worship the Lord and sing his praises and pray and to study his word together once again. I want you to find James chapter 4 this morning. Yes, we made it to another chapter in our journey through James. We're starting James chapter 4 this morning. As you find James chapter 4, I want to ask you, when was the last time you were in a fight with someone? And maybe not a fist fight, but a verbal fight. When was the last time you had a verbal fight, a conflict with someone else? Kids, have you ever had a conflict with your parents? Yeah, I see some nods in the room. Yeah, my, my own kids as well over there. Perhaps it was when you wanted something that you weren't able to get. Your parents wouldn't get you that thing you wanted. Wouldn't let you do that thing you wanted to do. And so you responded sinfully to your parents. And unfortunately, they're sinners too. And they responded sinfully back. And there was conflict with them. Perhaps parents, you ever had conflict that because of your sin with your kids? Where maybe your kids were fighting and they weren't giving you the peaceful home you came home from work wanting to have. And so in response to their sin, you responded simply. They responded simply back to you. And again, there was conflict. How about married couples? You ever had conflict? <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of nodding. Because I met two couples in the, over the years who told me they've never had conflict. And I'm pretty suspect about their claims on that. But I think all of us who are married understand we have conflict as well. We have expectations, when those don't, those don't get met, sometimes we respond simply, then our spouse responds simply back, and there's conflict. It can be between longtime friends when a friend disappoints you and something they did or didn't do, and you respond simply, they respond simply back, and there's that conflict. You know, because of our sin nature, friends, we can even have conflict with people on 1-800 numbers on the phone when you call customer service, because the internet's down, Right? I don't know about you, but I've definitely had conflict in those situations. We've all had conflict, and James was going to address the topic of conflict this morning. Now, before we dig into what James says, I want to give us a definition of conflict to kind of guide our thinking to understand what James is talking about. This is not a definition unique to me. This comes from a guy named Stuart Scott. He's a biblical counselor at John MacArthur's church in California. He's a professor of biblical counseling at the seminary I went to, and he's written a number of books. And there's a great book he has in our resource center called Communication and conflict resolution. I think one of our Sunday school classes actually studied that here before. Now here's his definition of conflict. I want you to see it up on the screen. Conflict is when two people sin against each other in their communication and are in opposition to one another. So, conflict is when two people sin against each other. They both commit sin in their communication and they end up in opposition. To one another. So conflict, friends, is a two-way street. Conflict takes two people engaging in sinful responses. It's two people striking out at one another. It can be physically, but often, at least in the church, it's more verbally with our words. Friends, unfortunately, this type of conflict, this time sitting against one another in our speech, being in opposition to one another, is a normal part of our human experience. All of us have been hurt by conflict. And friends, if we're honest, all of us have caused conflict that have hurt. Other people. Friends, why do we have conflict? And for us as believers, as followers of Christ, who love Jesus and been redeemed by his blood, why do we still struggle with conflict today? Christ has redeemed us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He has forgiven us of all of our sins. He has set us free from the penalty of sin. He sets us free from the power of sin. And yet it seems like we all still struggle with our words. And it seems like our words can so quickly get us into conflict. Why is that the case? That's where we come to in James chapter 4, because we have the answer this morning. Now we're starting a new chapter. Remember, chapters were added later to help us. It wasn't part of James's original letter. James's flow of thought really isn't being broken here. What we come to this morning builds on what we've just been seeing in James chapter 3. He's been talking to us about wisdom from above and how God's wisdom gives us peace. He showed us how the selfishness can break that peace in our lives. So it's very natural for them, after he calls us to be peacemakers, to now say, why do you have conflict Amongst yourself, so as we read our text this morning, the question to be looking for is very simple: Why do I engage in conflict? Why do you engage in conflict? What is it that drives us to have conflict, even though we are followers of Christ? So let's look at James chapter four for that answer. I can ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. James chapter four, just looking at two verses this morning, verses one and two. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. James four one: What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us so much. You've shown us who you are. You've shown us who we are. And you search our hearts and our soul. And you give us hard texts like this to cause us to peer into our heart and soul to see the sin that we so desperately need to repent of, to see our need of your grace to transform us. So Lord, would you use your word this morning to sanctify us, to grow us in Godliness, to show us the path you want for us and how we relate to one another. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So
2: this morning we're looking look at these two verses.
3: We're actually going to look at verse 1 in the first half of verse 2. We're not going to tackle that last phrase of verse 2 this morning. You do not have because you do not ask. I'm not skipping that. Don't worry. That's coming next week because that ties into... Verse three. So just know, if we don't get to that last phrase today, that will be part of next week's message for us. But looking at the first verse this the this first half of the second verse of James chapter four, here's what I want you to see this morning. Quite simply, this: our conflicts with others come from sinful desires in our own hearts. Our conflicts with others come from sinful desires within our own hearts. Can James tackles this issue we all face? issue of conflict, whether it's with our parents, whether it's with our kids, whether it's with our spouse, whether it's with our friends, whether it's with a co-worker. He tackles the struggle. We all have a conflict. But he does not let us excuse it. He does not let us justify it. He does not let us blame others or blame our circumstances. He digs deep to show us our own hearts and show us that we are responsible for any conflict that we're engaged in because it comes out of our own sinful desires in our hearts. That hard truth is not given to us to make us hopeless. That hard truth is given to us to give us hope. Because though our conflict is a sign of a deeper heart problem, God is in the business of changing hearts. And God delights in transforming us and giving us grace to change us. So we'll see this morning, our conflicts with others come from sinful desires in our own hearts. Let's dig into this. Let's look at the idea of conflict with others. I already gave you the definition. It's two people sinning against each other and being in opposition. And that's what James describes here for us. Look at verse 1 and look at the two words he uses to describe conflict. What causes quarrels and what causes fights... Among you these are the world the, the words quarrels and fights here now our English translation tones down a little bit what he actually is trying to communicate here on this the word quarrels that we're translating quarrels here is a Greek word that literally means wars and so it's a word that's used to describe in the Greek culture time the battles that happen in a war
1: and so James is saying
3: what causes the ba- the warlike battles among you fellow Christians he then uses a second word here what causes fights fights can be any type of conflict. Conflict, but it's especially used to describe combat, again, in a war situation. So of all the words James can pick to describe believers arguing in conflict, he picks the word for wars and for combat. What causes wars and what causes combat among you fellow Christians? That's really strong language, friends. Why does he pick this type of description? Because our hearts, friends, are so deceitful. Our hearts so want to justify our anger, our argumentativeness our conflict with other people. We can justify our responses in so many ways. So he's trying to wake us up to the danger of it. So I was studying this week on this text. One of the authors I was reading said it this way, and I want to read it to you because I can't say it any better than this. He says James uses the vocabulary of war to express controversies and quarrels, animosities, and bad feelings among Christians. This is not because there's no other way of saying it, but because there's no other way of expressing the horror catch that? He says, the reason that James picks these terms for war and combat, not because there's no other way to describe quarrels among Christians and conflict among Christians, but there's no other way to capture the horror of what happens in the body of Christ when there's that type of conflict. We've all experienced the horror. We've all caused it at times. So James now makes us answer the question, where does this problem come from? Why do we have conflict that causes wars and the pain of war and the pain of combat within the church? Well, he tells us the answer It's in our own hearts. We can't look outward and point fingers at others. The problem, if we're engaging in confidence, is in our own hearts. It is a heart problem. Look at verse 1 again. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, here's the answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are the problem here. Some of your translations may say your pleasures, your cravings, your desire. Whatever you want to translate that as. The Greek word here is the Greek word hedone. It sounds it's where we get the English word hedonism from. Your hedonism is at war within you. Your desire for pleasure. Your pursuit of self-indulgence. Your feverish search to make sure your desires are satisfied. He said that's at the core of the problem here. He's saying don't miss this because this comes from within us. If we're engaging in conflict, it's not because of the problems out there, but it's because of the problem in our own heart. And for instance, that truth is an antidote to conflict. It's a truth we need to hear. We can't blame our circumstances for lashing out in anger. Friends, we can't blame other people's sin to excuse our sin. We can't blame the stress of life or the trials or difficulties we're walking through to justify how we respond in sinful ways. None of those things cause us to lash out at others. Now, the reality is those things do squeeze us. When we squeeze those, it shows us what's inside. So here's a really easy question for you, not a trick question, okay? If you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Good, okay, good. Second easy question. If you squeeze an apple, what comes out? Apple juice. Yeah. So you're squeezing the orange doesn't produce orange juice. All the squeezing does is make what's in the orange come out. You squeezing an apple doesn't, cause, that stress in that fresh apple doesn't make apple juice. The squeezing apple just shows what's on the inside because the apple juice comes out. Friends, that's kind of what our life is like. When we get squeezed, in a sense, figuratively squeezed by trials trials, by stress, by difficulty, by other people's sin against us, by unmet expectations in our relationship, by disappointments in our life. We get squeezed by whatever is inside of us. If what comes out is conflict, if what comes out is anger, if what comes out is verbal words that tear down our spouse, our kids, our friends, the, the squeezing didn't make that in us. The squeezing, just like the squeezing of the orange shows what's in the orange, the squeezing of us shows what's already in our hearts that comes out. If it's as alarming as that is, our problem is even more deadly than that. Our problem is even scarier than that. Go back to verse 1 here. What causes quarrels, wars, what causes fights or combats among you? Is it not this that your passions are at? What's the next word here? Your passions are at what? At war. Our sinful nature is not just sitting by a waiting for us to get squeezed with some trial so it can come out. Our, our simple nature is actually at war within us, attacking us to try to destroy us, so that we respond simply, so we destroy others as well. This is not the only place you see this in Scripture. Peter describes this in First Peter chapter two, verse eleven. I want you to see that up on the screen. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions, here you go, the passions of the flesh, which do what? They wage what? They wage war against your soul, that our passions, our simple nature is warring within us. It's not just waiting for us to get squeezed so it can express itself. It is day by day fighting against us to wage war against us. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. He says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Then he goes on after this beautiful declaration. He says, but I see in my members, I see within myself another law waging what? waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There's a war going on inside of us. And that's what James is saying here back in verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So friends, how do our passions wage war against us? Well, they stir up particular sinful desires. They stir up particular sinful desires. They tempt us in very specific ways. And James highlights one of them. At the core of just about everything else we struggle with, particularly in terms of conflict, is this particular sin, it's a sin of coveting, the sin of covetousness. To covet something is to desire something that we do not have. It's not just desiring it, it was being consumed with trying to get something that we currently lack. Look at how James shows us that this thing at war within us, our fleshly desires at war within us, is particularly this, the temptation to covet, to desire what we do not have. Verse 2: You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's saying our fighting, our quarreling, even in the murders that we happen, comes from the particular sin struggle of covetousness inside of us. He uses two words to describe that the word desire and the word covet. Both of those are standing in parallel here to mean the same thing. The word desire means a strong and unhealthy craving to get something you do not have. A desire is a strong and an unhealthy craving. To get something that you do not currently have. Likewise, to covet is to be zealous to get something you do not have. To be zealous to get something you do not have. And friends, this desire, this covetousness can be anything. It can be material things. It can be the desire, the coveting of money, of possessions, of clothing, a new car, a bigger house, a new phone, the coolest computer, the newest technology, the newest toy. We could go on and on. But it doesn't have to be material things. We can covet. We can desire relational things as well. We can covet and desire this relationship that we don't have. We can covet or desire thrills and adventures and trips and things we want to experience. We can covet and desire wanting recognition. We can covet and desire wanting to be noticed and to have the praise of man. We can covet and desire what James is talking about here, even how we're perceived. We can have a covetous desire to be seen as trendy or cool or culturally relevant or influential or wise, We can also be tempted to covet and desire having positions of authority, to be in control, to have influence, to have people listening to us. It can be a myriad of things there. And whether the temptation is physical or relational or some status or some position, any form of coveting is deadly to us and deadly to others. That's why the Old Testament addresses this so directly in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And what we call the Ten Commandments, you remember one of them is this, you shall not—what's the next word?— You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not what? Covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This desire for something we don't have is forbidden all the way back in the Ten Commandments. Jesus warns us about as well in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all what? All covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. So we're warned in Scripture about the danger of desiring things that we don't have, of coveting things that are not ours. Again, whether it's physical, relational, some status, or some position. For instance, when we fail to heed those commands and those warnings, and we let covetousness take root in our heart, we become willing to do whatever we can to get that desire met, including fighting, quarreling, hurting other people, even murder. Go back to verse 2 of James 4. Notice the word so here. It says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now that word so is really important. Because encapsulating those two little letters is the process that leads us from desire to incredible division between believers. It leads us from desire to murder even. And there's a really helpful process that has that helped me understand what happens in that little word, so. There's a book I mentioned to you last week called The Peacemaker. We have it in the Resource Center by Ken Sandy. He has a chapter in there where he unpacks what he calls the progression of an idol in our hearts. And as I was studying this text this week and trying to unpack this word, so, and how this happens, I went back to this book, and it's really helped me think through how does this progression happen? From desiring something to being willing to kill someone over it. From coveting something to being willing to fight and quarrel over it. And I want to share, he has four steps that he shares in this book. And if you want to go deeper on this, I encourage you to pick up a copy of it and read. But there's four steps of how these desires lead to such division between us. And I want to mention to you briefly, because it's incredibly helpful in my own heart to figure out what's happening in my heart. It's helpful in my parenting to help my kids think through what's going on in their life as well. And I pray it will be helpful for you. So four steps in here. Number one, the first step is I desire. First step, I desire. Desire. There's something that I do not have that I want. This can be a sinful desire, but it also can be a good desire. It's kind of a neutral thing. There's something I desire, but I don't have it. This is verse 2 here again, what James is telling us. You desire and do not have. So we start with the desire, but the problem is the desire doesn't stop there. Step 2 I desire now becomes I demand. I desire becomes I demand. I believe the lie that I cannot be happy without this thing, this material thing. This relational thing, this status thing, this positional thing, this authority thing. I believe I cannot be happy if I don't have this. So I begin to justify my desire. I begin to justify my desires, and I begin to demand it of others. Now, it may not be verbally outright, but in my heart, I'm demanding my right to get this desire. And I can even sometimes speak that to others, that I demand this. And at this point, that desire, whether it was good or bad to begin with, is now an idol. An idol is anything we want more than God. It's not just a statue people bow down to. An idol is anything we want more than God. It's that thing that I was desiring, when it gets to place, I'm demanding it, that this is my right, I have to have this. That is now an idol in my heart. It is now sinful, even if it was good to start with. So I desire becomes I demand. Step three, I now judge. I judge. I desire, I demand, and then step three, I judge. I judge those standing in the way of me getting my desire. So I criticize, so I attack, so I condemn them because they kept me from getting what I've decided is my right, the thing that I need in this life. At this point when I'm judging, I'm now preoccupied with my rights. It's my right to get this material thing, it's my right to this relationship, it's my right to this status, it's my right to have this reputation, whatever. And I start focusing on other people's wrongs that have kept me from having my right. I'm now judging them. So I desire, I demand, I judge, and number four, I punish I punish. Friends, idols demand sacrifices. Idols demand sacrifices. And if I have an idol in my heart that I'm clinging to, and you stand in the way of that idol, I now lash out at you because I'm punishing you because my idol has not been satisfied. If it's a relational idol, and someone fails to meet your expectation, whether it's your kid or your spouse or your friend, they haven't lived up to what your expectation is, you punish them with your words and give them the cold shoulder you can be mean to them whatever you punish them with their words because they haven't lived up to what your expectation was but if your desire is more of a physical thing or a reputation or some type of power and someone blocks your access to that then you want to reach out and punish them for that i know we don't think of it normally in those terms but that's what ends up happening we desire we demand we judge and we punish and we can punish in so many different ways It can be the dirty looks it can be the cold shoulder where we won't talk to them. We give them that snide look. It can be the gossip. It can be slander. It can be just ending the relationship. It can be anger. It can be hurtful words. It can be, again, what we see in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And that whole process, friends, of desire becoming demands, that become judgments, that become punishment. Where does it start? It starts back in our hearts again. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus reminds us what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. Then in verse 19, Jesus continues. From out of the what? The heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart comes murder. Out of the heart comes adultery. Out of the heart comes sexual morality. Out of the heart comes theft. Out of the heart comes false witness. Out of the heart comes slander. All of our conflicts, friends, come out of our heart." Because we desire something so much it became an idol as we demand it. We then begin to judge other people, stand in the way of that idol. And then we punish them, often through arguments, because our idols have not been granted. And it all started here in our hearts. That's exactly what James is showing us back in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And friends, that's the bad news. That's the reality of my struggle and your struggles who walk through life. So the question is, is there hope and is there good news? And yes, there is hope, friends, and yes, there is good news. Our fleshly desire so wants to justify our anger, so wants to justify our conflict. If you're just doing what's right, you're standing up for what's right for you, but that's a fleshly lie we're believing. The world wants to tell us this is normal, this is how people solve their differences, this is just the way life goes. And Satan himself wants us to think there's no other way but to follow these desires and follow what the world says. Friends, if we are in Christ, we are not bound to that path. If we are in Christ, we are not bound to the progression of desires becoming demands that become judgments that become punishments. We don't have to follow that path because God has for us a life not of idolatry and selfish pursuits that lead to conflict. God has for us a life of worship of him that leads us to serve other people. A life that transforms us and makes us what we saw back in James chapter 3, verse 18. A harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. How do we get there, friends? How do we put off this fleshly response of judging and punishing people because our desires haven't been met? How do we put on a life of being peacemakers and a life of a harvest of righteousness? Because that's hard, friends. I have within me Battles that wage against me. You have within you battles that wage against you. We have these fleshly desires. We have this temptation to covetousness every single day. So how do we put that off and put on a life that's a life of worship to God and a harvest of righteousness? Friends, the path forward is not a quick fix. It's not an overnight process. I'm not going to make some resolution today and never have conflict again. I'm not having any type of white knuckle determination that's going to get me through this, and you can't either. The only path forward is a path of God's grace, as day by day by day, He gives grace to transform us. And though it's a path of God's grace, there's five things I want to give you that we can think about each day that I believe will help us dismantle the idols in our heart of covetousness, dismantle the idols of desires in our heart that leads to conflict, and can help us, by God's grace, become people who have a harvest of. Righteous. So, five things I want to share with you this morning that to help us think through how we can put off these simple desires. Number one, remember that Christ died to free us from the power of sin. Remember that Christ died to free us from the power of sin. In our American evangelical culture, we focus mostly on being free from the penalty of sin. Pray this prayer, you don't go to hell. Trust in Jesus, you want to have eternal life. And so, we focus on being free from the penalty of sin. But Christ also died, friends, to save us from the power of sin and this grip. On our life. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, reminds us of that truth. In Romans 6, 14, we see, for sin will have how much dominion over you? No dominion over you. Friends, what an incredible promise for us here. Sin will have no dominion over you. Since you're not alive, but you're under grace, when we trust it in Christ, sin loses its power on our lives. God's plan for us is not just for us to get out of hell. God's plan for us is to be free from the power of sin so we can walk with him and glorify him even today. So he gives much grace day by day to free us from sin's power. So remember, Christ died to free us from the power of sin. Number two, ask for his help in putting off pride. Ask for his help in putting off pride. Friends, pride is a root sin in which covetousness grows. Pride is that root sin in which the desires become demands. Pride is the root sin out of which those judgments and punishments come. And so we need to be daily asking God for help to put off the pride in our life and to put on humility. And God delights in answering those prayers. James chapter 4, verse 6 that we'll get to in still several more weeks. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, so often I feel like when we are praying for sanctification in our life, we're praying, God, help me not raise my voice to my kids. or help me not be impatient. Help me not have a bad attitude with the wow customer service rep today. Whatever. We're, we're focused on those fruits, so to speak. We're missing the hard issues. How often do we get up in the morning saying, God, today would you help me not be proud? God, would you help me today put on humility? God, would you help me today humble myself so there's not soil in my heart for which all these other things grow? Sometimes we focus on the externals more than the heart sin issues out of which everything grows. So we need to ask God for his help daily to put off pride. So number one, remember Christ died to free us from the power of sin. Number two, ask for God's help to put off pride. Number three, focus on worshiping God daily. Focus on worshiping God daily. What we saw here, the conflict comes out of our hearts because we have an idol in our hearts here. And so the replacement for the idol is... Is the worship of the one true God. If we want these idols to die, we've got to turn our hearts, not just when we're singing songs and here, but day by day to be worshiping God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, is a short, simple command that reminds us, you shall have no other gods before me. Again, when we hear this, we think about Israel's history. And we think about the idols that they would worship. And yes, that's included. We shouldn't have statues we bow down to. But friends, there's so many other gods in our heart today. Whether it's money our relationships, our power, our influence, or our reputation, or we could go on and on, the stuff I mentioned earlier, and we should have no other gods before God. So the antidote to the covetousness and the pride out of which conflict grows is to worship God alone. It's hard to be discontent when we're worshiping God, friends. It is hard to be in conflict with other people when we're worshiping God and when our minds are focused on Him. So number one, remember Christ died to free us from the power of sin. Number two, Ask for his help to put off pride. Number three, focus on worshiping God daily. Number four, ask God to give us contentment. Ask God to give us contentment. From when was the last time we prayed that prayer in our devotional time? Lord, help me be content today with what I have. Help me not be desirous and covetous of things that I don't have. But Lord, give me in your grace contentment. And when's the last time we make that a regular part of our prayers? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 is a great reminder of this. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment great gain in godliness and contentment. So again, part of our prayers as we're worshiping God daily it needs to be not just, Lord, put off pride in my heart. Give me grace to be humble. We need to be asking, Lord, give me contentment today. Help me be thankful for all that I already have in Christ, all that I already have relationally, all that I already have materially. Help me be thankful and content with what I already have. Just like the song that I referenced in the sermon last week, the line in that, whatever my lot is, Remember my condition like, life? You have taught me to say, Lord, it is well, it is well with my soul. Friends, that is contentment. We need to be asking God for that. So we need to remember that Christ died to free us from the power of sin. We need to ask for his help to put off pride. We need to focus on worshiping God each day. We need to ask out for contentment. Last one, nothing you've heard me say, but we need to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I cannot produce in my own heart, by my own efforts, removing covetousness. I cannot produce in my own heart through my own efforts of putting off of pride. I cannot my own heart produce in my own effort and self will putting off conflict. But the Holy Spirit within me and within you can. Because He can transform us and change us. Galatians chapter 5. We look at it very often. I want to go to a few verses later than we normally look at. Because it has everything to do with this text. Galatians chapter 5 verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, must also walk by the Spirit. As we walk by the Spirit, as we experience His fullness, look at what happens. Verse number 26. Let us not become conceited. Provoking one another, envying one another. There's James's two verses we just looked at this morning in this one verse right here. When we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he puts off conceit. He puts off pride and self-focus in our heart. As we walk with the Holy Spirit, he puts off from us provoking one another, conflicts, arguments, and all those things. And he puts off from our hearts envying, covetousness out of which that conflict grows. Friends, our conflicts with others come from sinful desires in our own hearts. But God gives much grace to not just change our external behavior, but to change our hearts out of which that conflict grows. So i want to ask you this morning, if you think back to the very beginning when I mentioned what was the last conflict you had with someone, I want you to do a self-evaluation, not just today, but in the days that come when you find yourself in conflict. What was the desire in your heart out of which the conflict grew? What was that thing you wanted so much, that thing that you began to covet in your heart? And then, friends, whatever that conflict was about, at what point did that desire become a demand? Even if it was a good desire of a friendship or a good desire for something you wanted to see happen, at what point did that good desire cross the line and become a demand where you saw it as your right? At what point did it become an idol? Friends, if you think about the last conflict you were in, how did you begin to judge that person you were in conflict with? How did that desire and demand lead you to judge others? What were you thinking that led to that judgment? And then finally, how did you punish them? How did that conflict play into that? Because, friends, if you're a child of God, do you realize this morning that God wants to give you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace to free you and to free me from the idols in our heart, to free us from these covetous desires that lead to conflict? Does that, let that be our prayers, God's people, this week. That God will so sanctify us and change our heart affections, that peace will flow in our relations, not because we just tried harder, but because he has changed our heart. This is in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing our closing song, and I pray that what we sing this morning will be your prayer of surrender to the Lord for these things. We're going to sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, Jesus, the Savior of my ruined heart. As we think about the conflicts we've had with others, friends, we have ruined hearts out of which they've come from, and we need his grace. And I pray that it's your prayer and my prayer this week will be what we sing in the song, that we want him to break our bonds of sin and shame. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you. For your word, we thank you for your love for us. And God, we thank you that as your children, you love us so much, you do not leave us where we are. God, that you show us the way out. You show us the path of grace to pursue. And Lord, I pray that this week, in my heart in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, through your Holy Spirit dwelling with us and your Holy Spirit opening your word to us, that God, that you would show us those desires in our hearts that have become demands. That God, you would show us where we've crossed the line and you show us idols in our heart, not to break us so that we're miserable, but to break us so that we can repent Lord, and run to you for forgiveness and mercy and restoration Lord, I pray this week that you'd be growing us as your people, to want to worship you more than anything else, to desire you more than anything else, and like we saw last week, as we do that, I pray that a harvest of righteousness will be sown in our lives as we experience your peace, and as we make peace and God, we will give you all the praise and all the glory for what you're going to do in our lives this week and we ask it in Jesus' name and then would you stayed as we sing our closing song this morning?
4: Taking our sins on our behalf. On your behalf, God, and dying on the cross to give us new life. So that our ruined lives can be changed, God, that you can give us new life, God. You can give us a new heart, God. Because your justice is satisfied. Because Jesus took on our wrath, God. So that you could make a way, God, to save sinners bring people to you. Father, may we reflect this week, God, on that goodness, God, on your goodness and giving your son, God. May we look back on all the many ways that you have blessed us, God, and find contentment, God, in what we have, God, that we do not deserve, instead of being covetous and longing for things that we do not have, God. Break our hearts, Lord, as we go. this your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.